Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Matt, what's happening, man? How are you feeling? We're good, Sam. How about yourself? Cannot complain, man. We got a special guest today. Who we got? Very excited about this one. We have got Noah Davis, AVP specialist and head of digital sales at Christie's. He has led many of the major auction houses' most notable NFT sales, including Beeple, Fuocious, CryptoPunks. And I'm really excited to hear a bit about how he led that charge at a legacy institution as storied as Christie's and his thoughts on how NFTs and the traditional art, art market uh, can interplay and, and you know, how NFTs can bring new people and, and into the space and make fine art more accessible to the masses. 1000%, man. I mean, Christie's such a, a truly phenomenal legacy brand, been around over 300 years. It's been a major stamp of approval and validation, not only by the, the fine art world as a whole, but just in kind of the mainstream market that uh, an auction house as credible as Christie's is really getting behind this. And I think Noah is really at the forefront of that effort within Christie's. I think uh, he's doing, he's very thoughtful around finding and w- finding ways to really uplift and support the community and what excites him most, excites us most. And it's like, what are some of these really natively digital, unique use cases of the NFT technology and, and how can that be leveraged in art? Not just trying to like copy and paste like uh, a piece of fine art, but just make it an NFT, but really leverage the some of the unique features that this enables. So really enjoyed also learning about some of the, the upcoming plans for Christie's and, and how they kind of see themselves in their role in this general uh, landscape. I mean, outside of Beeple, they had a, a very impressive drop in collaboration with Fawocious, who we've also had on the podcast. And then I, I think lastly, is very excited to see what they do and, and grateful that he was able to really share his perspective because he kind of comes from contemporary art, post-war art. So he's, he's very eloquent and very well-researched and knowledgeable about all things art. Um, so being able to bring in some of these principles of what makes great art, timeless art, and how does that apply to this uh, this NFT landscape. So very excited to have Noah on this week's episode. Um, if you haven't already, do want to encourage you to go subscribe to our newsletter. We simplify the NFT market and everything that's happening into actionable insights and send that out once a week. So you can just go to nftnow.co to sign up. And without any further ado, Mr. Noah Davis. Noah, what's happening, man? How you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Very, very excited. I know we got a lot to cover today. I'd, I'd love to really just start with kind of what was your like gateway into NFTs? Where did this kind of journey and intersection really begin in your life? Yeah, I, I think it, it started where it started for a, a lot of people, especially from my industry, when people had that seemingly out of the blue moment at Nifty Gateway in December last year, that that sale, $6 million for art that does not technically speaking exist. Pretty amazing stuff. You know, that was the first time I had ever heard the acronym NFT was when I heard about the results in that sale. I had no idea what it was. Most people still don't know what it is, even if they've heard it bandied about a million times in the media. But that was that was the first time it ever crossed my radar. That's awesome. I'd love to hear a bit too about how you sort of did that journey of discovery and then led, you know, this movement at, at a legacy auction house like Christie's. I, mm. I can't imagine sort of the the internal hurdles and, and convincing that you may have had to do. It's funny. It was actually a lot easier than you probably assume because uh, uh, timing is is everything, right? And I think that 
um, where we were when the opportunity came to us at the tail end of the pandemic and all of this insane disruption. Our appetite for risk was a lot higher than it normally is and taking um, this sort of leap of faith um, was an easy sell because of the potential upside and the, uh, the fact also that it allowed us to experiment with accepting cryptocurrency for payment. And that was a, a big thing uh, at the front of mind for a couple of different executives at the company, but including our CEO and Alex Rotter, who runs the department, and Marcus Fox. And all of these guys were extremely instrumental in, in getting this uh, over the finish line. Um, but that was really the, the sell. The thing that, that sold it within the company was the fact that we were going to take crypto for payment. Um, and this galvanized everybody who had been, you know, thinking about this stuff, but not actually applying it um, to go out and do the work. And clearly it, it paid off. <laughs> For sure. But in terms of the, the, the NFT as a thing we sell, that didn't really make anybody flinch. We've, we've sold uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex skeletons. We sell meteorites. Um, if, it, if it has value to somebody somewhere, we can find a way to market it and sell it. That's what we've been doing for 300 years. So that part wasn't so difficult. Um, but again, timing is everything. I don't know if, if this hadn't been the tail end of the, the pandemic. First of all, I don't know if the world would have been ready for it, but I don't, I don't know if Christie's would have been that psyched about trying something new. So, I mean, now kind of looking forward a little bit, like what's your kind of outlook on the evolution within the, the world of art and NFTs? I mean, do you feel this is pioneering what will become a major cra- uh, category and, and just have like a massive uh, market share, if you will, within the fine art market? Yeah, I, I think that it it started off with such an explosive destabilizing bang, right? It, it needed to have a bit of a correction that the marketplace was just, it, it wasn't sustainable, right? To have that high volume of, of transactions. Um, so I, I am glad that it has kind of pulled back a little bit, more generally speaking, from where it was around the time where the halving event happened for, for crypto, which is also really fascinating. I think that the NFT market more or less will rhyme with the marketplace for, for cryptocurrencies. Uh, but it is true, a, a lot of, of blue chip fine artists too are looking at this technology and trying to figure out ways that they can innovate um, using NFTs and blockchain uh, to create work that, that really makes sense for their practice. There are also tons of different uh, intellectual property holders who are trying to find ways for NFT to monetize their intellectual property and create new verticals. Um, so all of this, I think, uh, a lot of the really exciting stuff is still in the incubation phase or really just in the the very, very infancy of the, the project. So I, I am confident that, um, you know, barring a, a catastrophic world event when when the blockchain just falls apart, that yes, NFT will continue to be an explosive category. I'm curious to hear your thoughts too about how this sort of interfaces with the traditional art market in the sense, do you feel as though NFTs are bringing more people into the art collection world and and will actually make like fine art more accessible to buyers? Yeah, 100% I do. Um, It's interesting because you know, a lot of people have been asking about, you know, they don't use these terms. I use these terms because I think it's fun. But the two different sandboxes, right? You have the sandbox that has existed for hundreds of years. We have all of the contemporary art collectors um, playing, building their sandcastles and whatnot. And then you have this new sandbox that just appeared out of nowhere for the NFT-based art collectors. And that was already a very sophisticated sandbox as far as sandboxes go by the time we got involved. And trying to figure out how to build that bridge and who's crossing over from sandbox to sandbox 
that's really fascinating to behold because I think a lot of people assume that it's people from the in real life IRL based art collecting world who are moving into NFTs, but it's actually the opposite. It's a lot of NFT collectors, crypto collectors um, moving into collecting fine art. You know, Justin Sun uh, publicized his purchase of those uh, Warhol self-portraits and a Pablo Picasso painting at our evening sale in London immediately after being the direct underbidder in, in Beeple. Right. And that was his first purchase of, of physical art right. a, a, as, a, as a, you know, um, that's a splashy debut too, yeah, by the yeah. way, $20 million in, in, in purchases. That's not normal, right? People yeah, usually yeah. start small and, and we've seen that dynamic play out with a, a couple of other people mm-hmm. in the space as well. Um, there have been some purchases from classic collectors, traditional collectors, uh, of NFTs, but, um, it's, it's more common from my perspective to see NFT collectors collecting real art. Yeah. Well, physical art. Right, right, right. Do you feel like, I mean, within kind of purest, more traditional fine art community, what do you feel the, the response has been? Has it? I mean, obviously, it's hard to go against a lot of the, the market signals, like you were saying, and like this is def- clearly something that needs to be taken seriously. Mm. But do you feel like there's been hesitance and and pushback and oh, illegitimacy sure. from some of the purists? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually the most polarizing thing that I have ever seen happen <laughs> to art since street art. You know, the, the right. thing that gets closest to it is the sort of apoplectic reaction that some people had to the explosion of cause and, and Banksy because it was seen as something that was um, so divorced from the intellectual values of 21st century blue chip art. Um, and that's where it gets really interesting where you see that that so much about art collecting in the market is about virtue signaling and about um, collecting and promoting art that that aligns with your worldview and your values. Um, and so you've seen a lot of hay being made, um, some of it valid and some of it not so valid about the aesthetic merits of, of crypto art um, and NFT-based art. Um, but this is also just a, a, a new medium that is very much in its infancy and, and people are still interrogating the, the technology to figure out how it can help them achieve their goals as, as artists. So mm-hmm. as the space matures, the art is going to become more interesting and maybe more compelling for some of these old guard people who looked at it really skeptically. I think also there's a there's a, something that can't be ignored, and this is very kind of a, a subtextual thing, but um, a lot of the hand-wringing around NFTs, I suspect, has to do with what the technology does mm-hmm. to the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. When I was, um, when it clicked for me was when I was uh, researching CryptoPunks and I was looking at the, the Larva Labs website and watching the records update in real time as those offers came in and, and the fact that you can trace every uh, punk back to its origin, mm-hmm. um, that, if, if that kind of system were in place for, let's say, Pablo Picasso, it would radically change the market for all of his works because the the art industry as it exists and and up until uh, the advent of NFTs, it's all uh, based on this very opaque body of knowledge, right? Only some people know where the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. It's no mistake that um, you know the the Yves Bouvier and Dmitry Rybolev scandal. Uh, Bouvier uh, 
um, knew where all these paintings were as the person who was controlling the Geneva Freeport. You mm-hmm. know, that was the reason why he had access to all of these paintings. Um, and that was also the reason why uh, he could hide the prices he was charging uh, and the commissions he was taking because there's no blockchain involved. Right. So that, to me, I think that there are some people who are really terrified of the prospect of there being a blockchain and smart contracts for artists um, because that's, you know, smart contracts are the, that's where NFTs come from, but you can also use smart contracts to negotiate your, uh, relationship with your, with your gallery and that kind of stuff. When there's a blockchain enforcing the, the rules of the contract is a big game changer for, for art. For sure. And, you know, I think it's been interesting to watch sort of even in this short, relatively short time frame, an evolution and maybe even a shift in, in some, in some viewpoints and perspectives in the traditional art world. I mean, I, you know, there's some notable art critics who came out against it and then sort of, you know, changed their tune a little bit. Jerry. Jerry. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I think that like, I'm curious to hear, I'm sure you're having so many conversations with uh, the traditional guard of the, of, the tr- of the art world. How are you sort of uh, positioning NFTs and, and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. how, how are you explaining it to, to them, to those who don't really understand right. it and, and alleviating some of those fears? Yeah, I, I, well, I don't try to alleviate fears because mm. that's a Sisyphean task when yeah. you're when you're dealing with with the art world it's a, it's a very um it, it's set in its ways you don't try to teach the old dog new tricks right um what I spend most of my time doing is explaining to people um, what makes a good nft um, once they get beyond the very basic question of what is an nft that's the next logical question right and and you know so many people, who own amazing objects come to Christie's every day for evaluation. And a lot of them think, okay, so NFTs, uh, that's a way for me to perform a kind of magical alchemy whereby I have a new asset that points back towards my real meat space asset. And it's just as valuable, if not more valuable than that asset. And I have to disabuse them of that notion because my thesis is the best NFTs can only exist as an NFT. That that one-to-one correspondence doesn't work. It's just the same reason why I'm not interested in building a you know replica of our flagship galleries in the metaverse. I think it's very cool that Sotheby's came out and they have a space in the metaverse. But if if I'm building in the metaverse, it's going to be a unique experience. Um, there's going to be a draw. There's going to be a reason why you go there. Um, because the more you try to find this this one-to-one correspondence, it's not going to ever satisfy you. It's not going to be able to to uh, replicate the real life experience. And that's why I have Goya, therefore NFT does not work. Um, If you have something like in the case of the Warhol Foundation, they had these amazing digital drawings that Andy had made on a Commodore computer in the 80s. Um, We know that he wanted them to be collectible, but there just wasn't a means for digital art to be viably collectible at the time. And we helped the Warhol Foundation to create NFTs of these artworks to make them finally collectible, which was Warhol's vision. That's the kind of stuff that really makes sense. We wouldn't have tokenized just any Warhol. We wouldn't tokenize any Picasso. It's about the natively digital asset and the utility of the NFT to make something ephemeral uh, collectible, to make it real, right? In the same way, there's a lot of innovative functionality to be had there. I think even just when you think about the supply chain for art, it's completely 
streamlined by way of NFTs. I, I think there's like so much back end logistics and costs with, as it pertains to like moving art. Like, has that been a big draw to this from Christie's? I don't know. It's it's it. I mean, it's nice. It's yeah. nice that you don't have to worry about putting your elbow through the painting or you know losing it. Um, yeah. That's that's great. But <laughs> there are all sorts of other logistical challenges involved that make actually selling NFTs way more difficult than than right. selling real art because yeah. you know also real art. That comes to Christie's. We take possession of it. We put it in our, our storage. Um, and we have control over the actual asset throughout the process. Mm-hmm. With NFTs, we're still in the, the very beginning of this game, right? Yeah. And we don't take possession of the, the NFTs because that presents a new um, risk for us, right? Right, right? And we talked about appetite for risk earlier. Um, we're not going to, uh, the, the business is not going to introduce any new risky variables into yeah. the equation. So that transfer of the token is very manual and some of the, the transaction is happening off chain. And all these things are stuff that, that I want to, um, you know, do away with. I want it all to be on chain if possible. We're going to find solutions for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, there are no insurance providers out there. Uh, who can help you out with the liability of of holding and transferring tokens? Uh, set aside the liability of minting the tokens yourselves. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of legal gray areas um, that will be defined one day, but it's going to be via somebody making a catastrophic error, and that <laughs> we don't want that to be us, right? <laughs> um, so it's still very manual. It's still very um, uh, time consuming and and difficult. Um, we're basically I'm I'm asking. I have to remind myself all the time. I'm asking everyone else at Christie's to learn this new language that mm-hmm. that I've picked up relatively quickly, but that is foreign to everyone else. We we were we were still asking for uh, letters of reference from crypto exchanges from our new bidders to confirm their balance until very recently, and I, I had to explain what an ether scan is and and how yeah, all this yeah. stuff works. It's like things that the blockchain already does for you, we're, we're still doing ourselves because that's the way we've always done it. Right. And that learning curve is steep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, it's, it's heartening to hear that, you know, there wasn't as much internal resistance, you know, to, to, to establishing this. Um, but I'm sure that there were some unexpected challenges that came up along the way whenever you, you move like a legacy auction, how something like into the future like this in a, in a very, very short amount of time. Um, what were some of those, like, what were some of those, those lessons learned or, or kind of like um, challenges that you didn't necessarily anticipate? Well, I think uh, the coordination from between all of the support departments, and I have to be really, really great. I'm, I'm very grateful, you know, right up front, I'll, I'll say that. Like, I, I have no illusions about um, the kind of gravity of the ask here to ask a, a, a corporation that has been doing what it does for 250 going on 300 years and is the best in the world at doing this stuff to ask them to change their tune and to be flexible and accommodate this new client base. Um, that's, that's huge. So, um, you know, getting our communications streamlined, um, you know, ensuring that the people who are helping put on these auctions um, understand what it is that we're selling, you know, to get the, to, to sell NFTs and to administer the, the movement of the tokens and all the logistics involved, even the bookkeeping, all of that, you need to have a pretty fundamental understanding of how blockchain and crypto works. And, you know, that's new for most people at Christie's. So that, you know, that working with 
with the client services team and the uh, uh, accounts team, the credit department, um, the, the legal department especially, because there's all sorts of question marks in this stuff. And I, again, shout out to the legal department at Christie's. I love you guys because um, they've been doing a lot of extra work. Um, you know, even our consignment agreements have to be completely rewritten, all of our terms of sale, stuff that I take for granted as the art specialist. Um, who's really just focused on on the art and the the, the salesmanship? There's a lot of nuance um, behind the scenes. Yeah, fun fun times. Wild wild west right now. <laughs> Your legal team is like, yeah. I know. <laughs> I have to I have to pick my battles, yeah. right? Because I only I know I know I can tell when they're feeling exhausted, and I'm yeah. exhausted too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, but they don't have the same kind of um, proximity to all the activity on the front lines. Right. So I have to be, you know cognizant of that for sure team sport totally so i mean as the kind of the art specialist i mean i know kind of contemporary art beyond just digital sales is very much one of your realms of expertise when you think about um i mean i love how you mentioned street art now that there's kind of a, a, a analogy or metaphor there um when you think about the journey of adoption into the more traditional fine art world um there still might be plenty of purists that are kind of pushing back against it but regardless it it has really gotten a lot of credibility what are interesting takeaways from that evolution and how that kind of made its way into more adoption that you see and that the kind of the nft world can learn well i think interrogating the technology and i've I've used that word interrogate before um to dig it a little deeper into that Looking at what NFTs are and how they uh, facilitate commerce, finding ways that that dovetails conceptually with your practice is really important. Mm -hmm. Seeing ways to use NFTs um, beyond just tokenizing a static digital image or a photograph. Um, There are artists who are thinking about uh, unlockables in in the real world using NFTs or people like Async who are building NFTs with these really dynamic layers. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some artists who are uh, thinking about NFTs that will uh, crowdfund, basically, Mm -hmm. their more ambitious projects. Um, That kind of stuff is really fascinating. I think that um, really what's going to be the the tipping point for the fine art world um, is a true... uh, unmistakable work of poetic genius that's executed via NFT-based practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, using a non-fungible token to realize something um, that is truly a revolutionary work of art, dynamic, narrative, um, and complex, but in a way that is also legible, you know, that that is approachable. Um, there are a few people working on stuff that could fit the bill, and I think I'm really excited to see where this goes, right? Mm-hmm. Because there will be that kind of epiphany moment um, for for the wider art world, the same kind of epiphany that I had um, looking at Larva Labs, but it will be more about the aesthetic values Mm -hmm. and the way that NFT um, allowed the artist to do something super compelling that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Right, for sure. You know, I think one of the things that's really exciting about NFTs and smart contract technology is, um, you know, sec- the secondary sales royalty, which, yeah. uh, you know, it's become like a 10% has kind of emerged as industry standard in the crypto art world, mm-hmm. um, allowing, you know, the, the original creator to share in the value as as their value accrues and, and, and as their pieces change hands. I'm curious if you think that that will ever be adopted more widely in the traditional art world. And oh, if NFT- yeah. Well, I, I, 100% it will be. 
Um, I think right now, resale royalty is still a bit of a fig leaf because there are ways around it and interoperability is a, a big question mark too. But as we iterate and you know, when we move on to ETH2 and, and all these other updates happen, right? Um, I do hope, I, I hope that it's sooner rather than later that the resale royalty is a real thing that is always being enforced um, by the various blockchains that are out there. Um, I, I think it's inevitable. Um, 10% seems totally equitable and reasonable. Um, you know, America, <laughs> certain states in America have tried to make resale royalties a thing, California most notably. Um, and in France, they have the droit de suite. Um, but I guess the Supreme Court determined that we're just like so capitalist that that resale royalties are are communist. I don't know. I don't think that that should be the way it works. I think that artists should be compensated for the the growth in value their work. Um, I mean, the auction houses, the galleries, none of these systems exist without the artists. So to think that we're trying to shirk them, um, that doesn't sit well with me. When When you think about like the Christie's and where you guys sit in the landscape. I mean, I know you guys have had some incredible drops and have this incredible uh, credibility that you're able to really use to uplift and legitimize the space as a whole. You're, you're kind of very curated in that regard. What's kind of your ambition and perspective as to how you really want to engage in the landscape, both kind of personally as well as like the Christie's brand? Um, really good question. Um, our relationship to the art has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, it, as far as NFTs go, we're we're almost doing no secondary sales so far. It's it's mostly been working directly with the artists, and I even count Larva Labs having the the consignment of the punks from their collection. That's that's a primary sale as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, so it does change our responsibility to curate well um, and to be extremely careful about what we drop, when we drop it, you know, all of the, the, those questions are super important and, and carry more weight in this kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're, you're really helping an artist's career, um, go to the next level and beyond. Uh, I've, I've heard a, a Victor Filocious and his team, you know, sometimes they, they wonder out loud what's next after, after Christie's <laughs> that there's gotta be, you have to be sensitive to this idea that this is, potentially something that not every artist is ready for can overcome is right. all of the exposure from this and how much is riding on the results of these sales. So we need to, if we're getting behind a project, uh, I think my takeaway after doing one season of this thing is, is it just has to be very, very, very special. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's going to be a super high bar for entry. I, I have right. no ambition for, for Christie's to be the, uh, the, the sort of, uh, only marketplace out there. We don't want to dominate this market. I think that there's more than enough space for there to be other exchanges that are very specialized and focus on different price points. But for us, we should be looking towards the the top end of the marketplace because that's where we excel in in every other category where we have any kind of clout and expertise. I mean, we sell a ton of stuff at, at a low price point very regularly, but I don't see a need for us to expand into um, into that section of the the market. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, speaking of the top end of the marketplace, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to just chat a little bit about the Beeple auction, you know, mm -hmm. 69 million. I think that uh, I think it will go down in the history books as a landmark moment for for, you know, this this movement. And so I'd, and, and you were at the, the forefront of that. And, and I'd, so I would love to hear a bit about like how that came together, what it was like to live through that. And then also the aftermath, how that changed and perhaps, 
empowered or enabled you to to be able to pursue the the other um, like amazing drops and auctions that you've pursued at Christmas? I mean, it was it was very disorienting um, and <laughs> incredibly fun. Um, I remember when when the sale opened up for for bidding, um, and to step back a little bit before I worked on on Beeple, um, I became specialized in contemporary art. Um, thanks to being the head of the first open sales in in New York. First open is the the online only category for post-war and contemporary art. So I ran those for something like three or four years, and I, I grew that category um, from what was basically no offense, Christie's, but like a, a, a digital garage sale sort of of the stuff that we couldn't move, and it was very bad material consistently, to something that actually was a revenue making vertical um, for the department and where we featured increasingly more expensive art. You know, we went from doing like $200,000, uh, $400,000 in, in profits to um, recently a million bucks um, and in that neighborhood. So that's a pretty explosive leap. Um, so I was very fortunate to be there when we when we sort of gained our our footing and to help guide us in the the online only sales. And in that capacity, I was I was the guy to bring people to because I'm the digital sales guy, the online sales dude. So yeah, I've been through a ton of online only auctions before, and I've never experienced anything like the opening of the bidding for for people. Typically, um, bidding when you open the sale is extremely lethargic, and the uh, the the lowest value stuff, the low hanging fruit, gets plucked first, right? So it's the stuff that has a uh, hundred dollar, thousand dollar bids. Um, that goes and and nobody bids on the the top lots, the marquee stuff um, uh, until the last twenty four hours or even a couple of hours left on the clock. But with people, um, there are a few weird things that we did. Um, one was publishing estimate unknown. There was no estimate published. Uh, usually at Christie's, there's a range or there's estimate on request, and those are the only two things we ever publish. Estimate on request is the sort of pretentious uh, signal that if you have to ask, you probably don't need to know. It's too expensive, right? It's like a very prestigious estimate. Estimate unknown was a winking nod to that, but also an honest assessment of the art. We really had no idea what it was going to sell for. I would have been happy with a million bucks, to be to be clear. Um, and I even asked uh, Maker's Place, Ryoma, who we we uh, collaborated with on the on the sale. I said, "How? What is this going to make?" And they said a million bucks. And I my eyes were like as wide as dinner plates because <laughs> I thought that was a crazy number. And it turned out to be sixty nine times that. So, yeah, when the bidding opened, um, it was an absolute explosion of bidding. My laptop and my personal phone and my work phone they all lit up like slot machines. I was at home. I was at my apartment at home. Um, this is before I started going back into the office. I was ordered to go back in the office because I became so uh, annoyingly busy that my wife didn't want me home anymore. Um, but yeah, I was at home. My computer blew up. My phones are blowing up. And I, I pushed my chair back and stood up and kind of looked at the screen and, and had this holy shit moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, those next 14 days were crazy. The, the, the only reason that the bidding stopped at a million, it went from, to be clear, it went from 100 bucks to a million bucks in eight minutes. That's psychotic uh, amount of bidding. Um, but the only reason it stopped at a million is because that's where the the threshold was set for, for new bidders. So anybody who wanted to bid after a million bucks was going to need to get cleared financially to continue bidding because we didn't want to have a canceled sale. This is, again, learning curves, right? 
um, that's when we started asking for uh, <laughs> letters of reference from crypto exchanges from people. Um, so it was really fun, really, really <laughs> wild, um, very interesting. I got to work really closely with with Metacoven and his team throughout. Um, Justin was was working with uh, with somebody else. I mean, these were all new clients too, right? We we had forty plus bidders in the sale. And only three of those bidders were previously known to Christie's. So not only is that a, a a crazy amount of bidding right up front, but the dynamics and the the identity too of the bidders who are mostly younger um, and and brand new to us that that's crazy. Um, so yeah, it was it was totally nuts, unprecedented, um, very hard to uh, navigate. And uh, I'm very glad that it all worked out. That's such a wild journey. And then now, now I don't even I don't specialize in. I I still uh, can speak fluently about post-war and contemporary art, but my day to day, I'm I'm only considering NFTs, um, and that's all I, I I eat, drink, sleep nfts basically yeah, yeah yeah truly fascinating such a remarkable moment i mean i remember uh, the world froze at least the nft world and then i mean it, it just created massive waves into mainstream culture so beautiful to see how that happened and yeah i think i think the day the day after people closed i had close to 500 new emails in my inbox which is crazy because like a busy overnight email quota for me is like 50 or 60 emails yeah, yeah. so that was like I, it was insanity. It yeah. was insanity. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, and then, I mean, it, it's awesome too now that it, it definitely has uh, forced people to really wake wake up and, and take this seriously within the fine art world. So I'm excited to see how that continues to evolve. In that vein, like, I mean, from what you can share, like, I know you spoke a little bit to um, some of the inner work, some of the things that are exciting about the space. But from your perspective, like, can you, sh- what, what can you share about what you're hoping to accomplish and, and foster within Christie's in the coming months and years? Mm, yeah. I, I just want to tell amazing stories. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what, what I find most rewarding about this um, beyond the, the success for the artists and, and seeing them so happy with the outcome of the sales um, is getting access to really amazing people and getting to tell Victor's story, especially like Victor is the perfect um, example of this. Somebody who um, would have never in a million years made it to Christie's, you know, and before the advent of, of NFTs. Mm-hmm. There is something to the, the consensus mechanism of a blockchain too, which when you apply it to art, it's much more democratic. Uh, you know, the, the the people show up at auction who deserve to be there, right. who have the community behind them. Now, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put Fawocious in that spotlight if I didn't know that he was ready for it. And the way you know is because of the consensus of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's really special. Identifying the next victor um, and introducing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the the art collecting world, that's that's really important, yeah. um, and that's what I'm looking forward to is is very thoughtfully choosing who to work with and having really impressive uh, art to share. And yeah. the secondary sales, I think that's of interest for sure. I, I want to work with collectors too when it makes sense, but I still want for what we're doing right now with NFTs to be more about working directly with artists yeah. um, and and kind of promoting the the community um, for the community. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm also not, I'm, I'm interested too in, in exploring other verticals for NFTs as collectibles and different intellectual property and that stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm not interested in playing to the established room, right? right. There, there's, 
there's a lot of pressure from different places to do that. Um, but I just, I see, I see this space is so much more interesting in and of itself mm-hmm. um, than as something that needs to be sort of, you know, move it over and make it apply to yeah. the system that already works. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather do that. That's that's super interesting. And, you know, I think uh, I'm curious to hear too, sort of what what um, what factors you weigh too when you're looking towards, as you said, you know, you're you're getting you're getting emails from from every angle. You have there are, you have a lot of artists that are, you know, maybe successful in the NFT space and are looking to make that jump to the major au- auction house or or you know, artists who are already established in the traditional art world and are looking to do something NFT related mm-hmm. with Christie's. What sort of what are those factors you look at when you're deciding, you know, when it's when's when's the right time and the, and the right uh, the right story to tell yeah. when looking at artists? Well, the last the I, I think what you you have to be aware of what you don't want to right. Like the last thing you want is to have a I don't know Rod Stewart makes a rap album kind of moment. Like it has to make sense as an NFT. It needs to pass that test, the same test I described um, with the Warhol NFTs that we that we minted. Um, it needs to be ideally digitally native or, or must exist as, as an NFT, first and foremost. But there also has to be an established audience um, who are very passionate, um, and there has to be a community around it, or there should be a community around it to make it truly exciting and galvanize people. Um, and I want there to be an emotional beating heart to the work, for there to be a story to tell um, that makes a really successful sale. Narrative is super important. Um, I, I love movies and, and, and books and, and that kind of media and, and that arc to those works of art, I, I think should apply to, to NFTs because it has the power to tell stories. Um, so that's really what, what I'm looking for um, is almost like poetry in, in NFTs, but digital poetry, right? Yeah, makes sense. Awesome, man. Well, I think it's uh, super grateful for everything you've been able to do to really empower the community to to find and and really help foster deeper community and showcase some of the the early risers and, and all stars. So I think um, very grateful you came on today, man. And no, this is still very much early on, and, and can't wait to see what's in store. It's it's wild. It's really it is the wild west still. Um, I hope it never gets completely tamed. I hope it gets a little more manageable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure that your legal team does too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but I, I just, at the end of the day, I believe so much in the brilliant minds that are working in, in blockchain and, and crypto and DeFi and all of these related areas. Um, I, I think that that's also super compelling, knowing that, that the NFT-based art that we're selling for these great prices helps to promote the technology too. Mm-hmm. And I do think without being a little bit over the top grandiose or romantic or whatever about it, that, that this stuff could save the world from itself mm-hmm. um, because it systematizes trust and it does things that we can't do for ourselves. And that's what we really need to figure out, you know, how to use technology. Um, the best way for, for human beings is to have it do things we can't do. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you can use a blockchain to, to facilitate trust. That is a radical thing. Yeah. So, yeah, if if the art being made along the way is really cool and selling for a lot of money, that's also wonderful. But ultimately, I think that this is part of a much larger, bigger paradigm shift that has only just begun. Yeah, yeah. ETH2, ETH2 in 2022. Yeah. Counting down the days. <laughs> Here's to it. Well, thank you so much, Noah. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thanks, really. Man, truly special episode. Super well-spoken. I... I 
very not somebody that's really engaging in the space just to help Christie's turn a profit, but really want is deeply inspired around the, the practical applications of the technology, both for the art world and far beyond just arts. Um, so I'm super grateful to have had him on the show, super grateful for his contributions to the space as a whole, and I, uh, feeling very energized and excited coming out of that conversation. What stood out to you, Matt? Absolutely. I mean, I think it was so interesting to, to get his perspective and his expertise as applied from the traditional art world uh, to this new emerging space that that is now really turning everything upside down. Um, I loved hearing the blow-by-blow of the people drop. And, you know, I, as I said, I think that's going to be such a landmark moment people will look back on um, for decades to come and for him to have been leading the charge there. It was great to get his perspective. And I, I was really heartened to hear how optimistic he is about the secondary sales royalty in the traditional art world because mm-hmm. I think that has the potential to be absolutely game-changing for artists to empower creatives, and that's what we're about. Yeah, for sure. And I personally enjoyed too when you kind of even just brought it up because outside of just using NFTs and blockchain tech, to sell NFTs. I mean, there's tons of practical application, even in the, uh, uh, everything else they're selling. So absolutely. Um, cool. Well, great show. Great, great co-host. I have to say, Matt, it's, it's a pleasure. I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, most importantly, great listeners. So, so thank you guys for tuning in as always. We'll be back next week until then. See you then. 